It is good to be here this morning. Thanks for that worship. I titled this morning's message, uh, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It's page 977 in your pew Bible. Living our faith, is it defined by culture or Christ? And today's scripture actually follows Doug's scripture that he preached on two weeks ago. Uh, We got a little bit of uh, out of order because of COVID. Uh, And so we just need to quick review that. That was uh, found in the second chapter of Ephesians. One in Christ. And and basically Paul is uh, inspired by God to write because we we have this clash of cultures. This clash between the Jews and and the Gentiles, that suddenly they're one. These enemies, uh, just uh, some very strong verses that, uh, that Doug brought out. Chapter 2, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, in other words, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This wall of hostility, and Doug put the picture up in the wall of the, of the, representing the temple and the wall around it that actually a physical barrier that kept any Gentile from even getting close to the temple. Then go down to verse 16. Again, strong words. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Doug brought out Jesus Christ kills the hostility. So we have this this hostility between two groups, between two cultures that Christ breaks down and bridges. So as Paul was addressing the truth of the Jew and the Gentile being one in Christ, these two opposing cultures being one in Christ, the Jew, God's chosen people who was responsible for God's truth, for the law, for, for the Messiah. And the Gentiles that were steeped in human philosophy, pursuing pleasure, making their own gods. These two cultures coming together, being joint heirs with Christ. And it's just, Scripture is so interesting in so many different ways. We have these these multiple authors inspired by God to write his words, written over thousands of years, multiple writers, all with their own style and their own view or explanation of the truth. I think it's always one of the interesting, if you've watched any of The Chosen, and I haven't watched a lot, there's no closed captioning, I can't hear and I can't understand their accents, so it's a little discouraging. But, but one of the th- interesting parts of The Chosen is the writers have, have brought out the personalities of the different people written about in scripture, the disciples, each with their own unique 
personality. And we see it in the authors in the writings. And Paul certainly has a personality. I, for, I just picture Paul as that hyperactive ADD kid. I mean, he can't keep a, a one thought together for his mind is going so fast. And, and we know that, in, in fact, in Romans, that, that he would dictate his letters, and, and he had a scribe write them down. In Romans 16.22, it actually names the, the scribe, the writer, uh, Tertius, and he sent his greetings because he's the one that wrote it, <clears throat> even though Paul authored it through dictation. But we have Paul... Writing here just gets done with this wall of hostility and, and Christ destroys it. And then he goes on to a new thought. And he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then his brain just goes haywire. And he goes back to where he was. So actually in his thought process here, we would say, chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he would go to verse 14 and say, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that's next week's sermon, Paul's prayer. But in the meantime, his, his mind jumps back. He says, wait a minute, I'm not quite done making this point of Jew and Gentile being one. Of this clash of cultures being brought together in union. He says, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. In fact, it's the reason I'm in prison. Yes, I'm a prisoner because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if we go back to Acts... The reason Paul was in prison, find my spot here, in Acts, um, 21, starting with the second half of verse 28, moreover, he even, and this is somebody accusing Paul, Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. In other words, he brought these Gentiles across the wall of hostility into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimius, the Ephesian, with, whom, with him in the city, and they supposed or assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple, even though Paul hadn't. They assumed that. And so that created this huge uproar. And, you know, the Romans were trying to keep the peace, and they arrested Paul. And then Paul said, hey, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. you got to let me speak here. And so Paul has this speech, and he's explaining, he explains his testimony, how he was this bright light on the road to uh, Damascus, and he was persecuting Jesus, and Jesus told him and, and, and saved him and opened his eyes. And he continues on 
uh, dropping down to verse 21 in Acts 22. And he said to them, he's in his speech to the people, and then he says, Jesus told him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And upon this word, they listen. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And they were created a riot, and Paul was kept in prison, and then through his trials ended up staying in prison because he was called to preach to the Gentiles. And so this is a big deal to Paul, this clash of cultures being united as joint heirs in Christ. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, verse 2, as assuming that you have heard, see, jumps, he switches subjects, assuming goes back, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This mystery, this mystery that I'm in prison because Jesus told me to go and preach to the Gentiles. This mystery that, that this was the plan from the beginning. As we opened Ephesians the message was Jesus was the plan from the beginning. He wasn't the, the, the repair that because all of other, God's other plans didn't work of, of Noah and the ark and destroying all the evil of Abraham and his faith of a new nation, of Moses and the law, of David and the kingdom. It wasn't to fix those things. It was the plan from the beginning that all men could be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ if they put their faith in him. And all of scripture had led to that. So this was personal to Paul, this clash of the cultures. And he knew it was important and he prayed for them, as we will see in next week's message. This wasn't Paul's plan. This was not Paul's idea. This was not Paul's truth. This was the truth given to Paul by the Holy Spirit and by God's grace. I would well imagine that Paul didn't even want to preach that. I mean, it was against everything he had been raised. It, had been, it was against everything he had stood for up to this point. 
And he relished the idea that God had given him this job. We see how humble he was. Verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To tell me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for Everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. Okay, so how does this affect us today? I don't think there's a real clash in Northfield between the Jews and the Gentiles in our congregation. I haven't noticed it anyway. Dale, the elders, you have any problems? No. And even the church as a whole. Maybe if you're over in Israel and, and you're a Christian and, and evangelizing, they probably see that. But, but in verse 10, and I'd like, to, I'd like to just really concentrate on verse 10 this morning. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what does manifold mean here? What is the manifold wisdom of God? It's easy to gloss over. I, I don't know, as a farmer, as a mechanic, when I think manifold, I think noun. I think of an engine that, that has a source of a fuel and air mixture that goes into a pipe, a manifold, one source... And it's divided out into numerous cylinders. My anhydrous applicator has a manifold on it. It has, one, it has a big tank in the back that a source of nitrogen, one source, in a hose comes out and it goes into this manifold and it is divided out into numerous applic uh, knife applicators. And so this word, the Greek word that is translated manifold, and I can't pronounce it, but polyupikilios, which basically means much varied. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Amplified Bible. Uh, it's a, I guess you can't call it a translation. It's not a word for word, but it's, it's, it, it takes... The Greek words that, that it's very hard to translate word for word, and it kind of used multiple words to describe that word and that truth. And I'd just like to read that verse out of the Amplified Bible. For the purpose is that through the church, 
the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable, innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. This, this wisdom of God that takes so many different paths to create one purpose, the church of Christ. That this is a mystery that even, and I'm not, I'm not a Bible expert, I'm not a great theologian, but, but I would think that even this mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs was hidden even from the angels and from the spiritual powers. They didn't see it coming. If Satan saw that coming, why would have he killed Jesus? Wouldn't have he let him die of old age and the whole thing would have fallen apart? This mystery that each of us as individuals, though different, are one through Christ. So what does Christ's church look like? This church of many variables. I want to put up a few pictures, having put up a few pictures today, and I just wanted you to decide which do you think best represents Christ's church. Number one, some old order Mennonites singing, probably four-part harmony, a cappella. Picture number two, biker church. Tattoos and leather jackets and motorcycles. Number three, mega church, a real production. Might have some smoke and flashing lights and all kinds of things going on. Number four, COVID church. Number five, this morning, us here. Different cultures. Raised different ways. Worship in different styles. Which one best represents? Christ Church. There was a class of cultures in Ephesians and the church at Ephesus. In fact, basically the rest of Ephesians is going to be dealing with that. What the church really looks like. And, you know, it is natural to gravitate and associate with people of similar cultures, worship together, share together. Just talking to Matt this morning, and, and as, as the church plans and with the, the committee that's going to support the Afghan refugees to help them uh, get settled in our nation, that's, you know, he was saying as they're, as they're learning, as they're, as they're training, that one of the very 
common things would be the, this, the family that would be moving here in this area as soon as they possibly can to move somewhere where they will be with other Afghanis. It, it's human nature. We tend to associate with our own people from our own culture. And I don't think that's necessarily bad. I don't think that's necessarily unchristlike. But I think there is some dangers we need to be careful. We need to look into our hearts. Because I think there's two dangers of letting our culture define our Christ-likeness. It's easy to think that our group is just a step ahead of the others. Our group just has it a little more together spiritually. And it's easy to look down on someone that does things different. What about in our church, in the church? Have you ever heard somebody say, no, that was real music? Meaning their genre of music. Clash of cultures, it happens almost in every church. And music is one of the, one of the, Cultures of the forefront. You know, there's many churches today that have two different congregations. A traditional service and a contemporary service. Which basically often ends up in the older people's service and the younger people's service. Although I'm getting pretty old and I can, I'm kind of contemporary, I think. Until I see the young people, they're just out there. You know, I had an experience that, that spoke to my heart many years ago at the cabin. <clears throat> Heidi and I were in, in leadership, and, and we kind of did two stints in leadership at the cabin. And the second one, we were just kind of were there to kind of oversee, and there was a group of young guys that, and gals that were the cabin committee that were the actual leadership. And, and so one night... Um, we scheduled a band and uh, that somebody had recommended, and we really didn't know them and, or, or whatever, their, their style of music. I think we had our kind of thought, you know. And, and I don't understand um, all the different genres of music, but, you know, you have classic rock and you have hard rock and, and then you have loud noise. <laughs> and... <clears throat> I would describe this band as loud noise that night at the cabin. And obviously it wasn't my style of music. And one of the guys that was on the leadership committee came up to me <clears throat> afterwards. And I think he, I could kind of sense he was a little worried what my reaction was going to be. He said, what do you think of that? 
And I think it was the Spirit spoke to my heart. And I said, I loved it. I saw a group of young people up there who loved Jesus, sharing their love to Jesus for others. It was a clash of cultures. I did not enjoy their music. I hated their music. <laughs> but I loved them. And I loved their message. This clash of cultures that Christ wants to unify us. Not that it mean we're going to love what the other person loves, but we're going to love them. What about appearance? I remember again a number of years ago, there was an older gentleman, a godly man in our church, that I just think men should be wearing suits and ties to church. I think the, especially the minister. The minister should be wearing a suit and tie. So I compromise. I have the tie but no suit. And his reasoning was, we come to church to honor God. If you were a professional at a, at a business meeting, you were doing a presentation before a group of CEOs or, uh, uh, and representing something important, you would do it in a suit and tie. And then we have people coming to church broken. And their attitude is just as I am, I come, Lord. I have no pretense. I have no airs about me. I just come to worship you just as I am. A class of cultures. Which one is honoring to God? Which one is controlled by Christ? You ever meet someone full of tattoos? Where's your mind go? Where's your thoughts go? What do you think of them? Many of you know that my son-in-law is uh, in law enforcement on Colorado. It's a different culture. And... uh, One night he was on patrol by himself out in a mountain road in the dark. There's a vehicle driving erratically, and he pulled them over. And as he was getting out of his patrol car, the driver jumped out with a gun. If you paid any attention to the news lately, normally there's not good outcomes in that situation. And as he was praying, and his wife, who was back working in the ER, listening to the police scanner, listening to the radio transmissions back and forth, was praying. And as they had committed his occupation to the Lord, knowing that that's 
what the Lord had called him to do, to protect the innocent and to challenge the evil. There was a battle between good and evil taking place. There was a battle between the powers of light and the powers of darkness taking place. And it, the Lord intervened and everyone was safe and no one was hurt. My son-in-law was safe and my son-in-law, though he had every right to, did not take a life that night. You know, those are powerful experiences in our lives when we experience the power of light taking control. And in that culture, you know what you do? You get a tattoo. And he lives, Psalm 18. It's, it's a psalm of David when, when David was being oppressed by the evil. And God intervened in miraculous ways with lightning and angels of protection to, to conquer the darkness. And that's my son-in-law's mission as he goes to work every day. And so he had a tattoo not the reference, Psalm 18, but a full sleeve illustrating Psalm 18 of the angels overpowering the darkness, of the lightning. Of the In my past, I probably, if I met him in the store, would have thought, well, he sure doesn't have it very much together. Why would he do that? And yet, it's a very act of worship. It's a very act of honoring the God he serves. We've kind of learned Heidi in her job at the hospital meets a lot of people, and she'll often ask someone that has a tattoo, what's that mean? For most people, it has some deep, deep meanings. Now, I'm not advocating you go out and get a tattoo this morning. Okay? It's kind of like when you're 18, you got to buy a car, and it's the car you're going to drive the rest of your life. You know, you probably don't want a Corvette if you think you're about getting married and having three kids. So if you're thinking about getting a tattoo, talk to Micah. He'll uh, share some inside wisdom with you of how to get rid of one. <laughs> A class of cultures. We come from all different cultures. Even in this room, we come from different experiences. We have different likes. We have different styles of worship. Do we love each other? Are you willing to even try to understand each other 
See where you're coming from? One more story. I remember many years ago, Vic Slaughter came to our church. This is back probably in the late 60s. Vic Slaughter, for you that don't know, he was one of the first missionaries that our local congregation, our denomination sent out. Went to the island of New Guinea to an unreached people, Stone Age. These were people that lived in total darkness of of the light of the gospel. They totally lived in fear of the evil spirits lurking in the jungle. And the light of the gospel took life and and saved these people. And they lived in peace for the first time in generations in forever. And he was sharing this and showing pictures. And he was showing pictures of a pig feast. And, you know, they were... Kind of, kind of gross, but they would beat the pigs with a club before they would butcher them. They didn't have, they didn't have guns or knives or anything. And this glorious gospel saving these people. And I remember one old brother said, asked the question, "Well, are you teaching these?" People to bleed the pigs correctly before you butcher them. Now bless his heart that's in the Old Testament, it's in the law to, to, to bleed the animal. But I'm feared because it was a different culture, he missed the glories of God's gospel. To save these people out of darkness. So it's easy to think that we're something special and the people of different cultures don't have it quite together. The second one, I just touched lightly, and again, we will cover it more in Ephesians. The dangers of the struggle of, with culture and its influence. Are we accepting untruth in our culture, in our, in our faith? in living our faith? Is, is our culture influencing some untruth? And it's easy. It's easy to bring our culture into our gospel. I think one couple huge areas that we see attacking the church today, infiltrating the church today, one is gender. Genesis 1:27 male and female he created them. And by the way, I think science supports that. If we listen to science, I think biology supports that. And yet many organizations that Christians support would tend to discount that. Genesis 20 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his mother, father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. These are both concepts of God that was before the fall. This is how God created us to be. And yet we see 
people support, Christian supporting organizations that downplay marriage and the mother and the father. It's easy for everyone to have their own truth. We're supposed to love everybody, right? Isn't that we, we just got done saying? These different cultures we need to accept and love one another, but not to the point of accepting false truth. So this morning, I guess, maybe I'm just introducing the rest of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility in love. But as we continue on, Verses 14 and 15 in chapter 4. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ. Truth in love. Humility in love and truth in love. Because Jesus gave us this concept. In John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we all have our own ideas, our own likes, our own preferences. But Lord, you transcend that. You destroy hostility. You destroy those differences. Lord, not that we change, but that we accept others. We accept, we love in humility, but Lord, we love in truth. Help us to keep our hearts on your truth. Lord, that we don't let our culture cause us to judge others, but we also don't allow our culture to accept untruth. Lord, be with us now. Bless us. Keep everyone healthy and, and uh, those that we have prayed for. We thank you as we see improvement Lord, bless those that aren't able to come. Be with us now, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.